Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So we are in a sermon series called Out of the Darkness, and today we're wrapping it up. It's our last one of the series, and today we're talking about a topic that no one likes. We're talking about pain. See, everyone experiences pain in our lives somewhere, and so we're going to be talking today about how do we overcome pain. Now, everyone experiences pain. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes we get injured or there's an accident or, you know, maybe you're just, you know, you feel the pains and the strains of getting old. It happens to all of us. Or sometimes our pain isn't physical, but sometimes our pain comes from grief or a tragedy. Maybe you had to say bye to someone that you weren't ready to say bye from. Maybe you lost someone you loved and cared about to a disease, sickness, or something else. But one of the ways we also feel pain is relational. In this sermon series coming up, what happy couples know is about avoiding some of those relational pain things. But sometimes we face pain in relationships where we promised our lives to someone and then things happened and it didn't work out or there was a betrayal or something happened. But in each one of those, when it breaks our heart, we feel an emotional, a relational pain. And sometimes pain uh, is in that emotional realm. Sometimes we spend parts of our lives battling depression and anxiety. And each of these things can cause us discomfort. And the natural human response when we experience pain is avoidance. But what we want to talk about today is that life is about more than just avoiding pain. We can live our lives in a way that takes us beyond just avoiding pain and trying to get away from it and actually learn to say, how do we overcome it. Because all of us experience pain, but all of us respond to it in slightly different ways. But avoidance is the most common. So we're going to talk about what are some different ways that we overcome pain. Because life is about more than just avoiding pain. And so we're going to talk today, what does it mean to overcome pain? And as we do that, I want to invite you to, if you have your phone along with you, you can open the YouVersion Bible app and search for Grand Valley under the Events tab, and you can find our event for this morning. You can follow along with the message, all the scripture passages we're going to talk about are in there. And at the very end, there is discussion questions for your life group, or maybe to talk over with your spouse or with a friend. If you want to go deeper on this topic, those discussion questions are kind of the next step to take this topic further. So we've been in this series, Out of the Darkness, talking about how do we step out of the darkness, which we're using this definition of saying any part of our lives we'd rather keep hidden away from people. How do we step out of that darkness and into the fullness of God's light and his love? Because that's ultimately what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to live trapped by our pain. Uh, We talked about being trapped by our fear or our shame over the last two weeks. We don't want to be trapped by those things. God doesn't want us to be trapped by those things. And so how do we step out of the darkness and into the light of God's love? And that's been the whole big picture of this series. And what we're wrapping up today is that God never intends for us to be trapped. And that's why we're talking about pain today. You see, there's this Western kind of idea that that exists more on our half of the hemisphere than the Eastern half of the world that God only cares about the spiritual. There's this, this thought, this myth that God doesn't care about our physical well-being, that all that matters is spiritual. All that matters is, is our faith in the right place. Are we spiritually in the right place? But that perspective, that myth, is completely paints an untrue picture of who God is. Because the truth is that God cares about our wholeness just as much as he cares about our holiness. 
God cares about our physical pain, our emotional pain, our relational pain, grief, tragedy, all those pieces God cares about just as much as he cares about the condition of our heart and our connection with him. See, God cares about our wholeness for a specific reason. He created us out of an act of love. And no one wants to see what they love experience pain. No one ever wants to do that. You know, as a parent, you know, we would do anything to prevent our kids from experiencing pain and misfortune and tragedy. We would, we would do that. You see that uh, in stories all the time of parents that go to great lengths to protect their kids. That's just natural. And that's the way that God sees us. He sees us as his children that he loves, that he wants to protect and care for. And if we think that God only cares about our holiness, only cares about our spiritual well-being, then we're actually only seeing a small picture of who God is because God cares about our wholeness. He cares about all of us. And when we experience wounds, when we experience pain, those things can sometimes prevent us from drawing closer to God. And so God even has this self-interest in wanting to take care of our pain and our wounds and meet us in them because it's ultimately about drawing us closer to him. See, if we think that God is only caring about our spiritual side, we're missing out because the truth is we can know of God's love from a distance, but we only fully experience it when we get close to him. And if our pain and our wounds are holding us back, why wouldn't God want to meet us in those and draw us closer to him? See, God has this deep desire for us to know him and to discover how he has uniquely wired and equipped and created each one of us to be in a relationship with him, and not only that, to have an impact on the world around us. And the the proof of all this, where this all comes down to, is we're going to spend our time today in a passage of scripture from Luke. And Luke is one of the four gospels, the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life that we have in scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, And Luke tells a story, it's also in one of the other gospels, but each of these gospels has a perspective of saying this is who Jesus is. And they each kind of focus on different aspects of him to try and give us this complete picture of who God is, who Jesus is, why he came. And so we're going to be in Luke 5 today. And it's one of these times where Jesus is healing someone. And when Jesus heals someone, this is what I want you to see. I want you to see the effect that it has. What is Jesus accomplishing? Why did he bother healing people when he was here? And why does that matter? So if you've got a Bible with you or you've got the Uversion app open, I want to invite you to turn to Luke 5, verse 17. I'm going to start kind of walking us through this story. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. Now these Pharisees and these teachers of religious law, if you haven't heard of them before, they were kind of like the gatekeepers of faith, is the way they were self-appointed in that role of saying, we understand God the best. We understand scriptures the best. And we're going to point out all the ways that you get it wrong. That was kind of their mentality. But they had a pure intention under it. They thought they were helping the people stay in a relationship with God by being, you know, for lack of a better term, legalists about who God is and about faith. And so these Pharisees and teachers of the religious law often followed Jesus and they were looking for ways to to trap and upset Jesus and try and, you know, find a way to prove Jesus wrong. And so one day Jesus is teaching, he's in a home, and these Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. We're going to come back to that verse later, but let's carry on with the story to the next verse. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. 
They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. They started chopping a hole in the roof of the house. Now, if you have, you know, let's say you're having a party and you have a whole bunch of people over and someone shows up and they can't get in the front door and they climb up to your roof and start chopping a hole, what's your response going to be? How ticked off on a scale of like one to 10 are you going to be if someone shows up and starts chopping a hole in your roof? You know, 10, 11, 15? Especially in our culture, like this climate, like your house is done. Anyways, that's what happens. These guys come, they're bringing a paralyzed man on a mat, take him up to the roof, start cutting a hole in the roof, and then they lowered the sick man on the mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, this is out of the norm. This is unusual that they do this. So they come. They do this. They bring this man. And here's what happens. Jesus sees their faith. And Jesus says to the young man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, notice what's missing in this. The man on the mat didn't pray. He didn't ask for anything. He just, you know, actually, I was kind of thinking about this. He doesn't actually have a choice of being there. Like, he's paralyzed, he's on a mat, his friends brought him. He could have been like, no, no, don't take me, no, no, don't take me. And he doesn't have a choice because he's paralyzed. Like, there's a, there's a, I don't think this is the case, but there's a chance that he was like actually against like, you know, could you imagine like being, laying there, you're paralyzed, you're on a mat, your buddies are chopping a hole in the roof, and you're like, no, no, man, don't do this, don't do this. But that's what happens. They bring him in, they lower him down, and Jesus sees their faith. Jesus says to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Blasphemy means that's profanity against God. They're saying that Jesus is doing something that only God can do because they're not recognizing that Jesus is God incarnated, which means to put on human flesh, to step into the world and be with us. They don't recognize that. They're trying to prove Jesus wrong. They say, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, to accuse someone of blasphemy, that is a high crime in their society. That is a crime that is high enough that they could try to use that as justification to have Jesus killed. So what happens? Jesus knows what they're thinking, and so he asks them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and walk? So remember, he said to the man who was lowered down, your sins have been forgiven. The Pharisees questioned this. What do you mean? Only God can do that. Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? See, to understand this question that Jesus poses to the Pharisees, we have to understand what does sin mean in first century Judea? What does sin mean in the first century when Jesus is there in this house? See, we, you know, if you look at the dictionary now or or the way we tend to use the word sin is we say sin is evil, sin is bad, sin is wrongdoing. But that's actually not the definition if the dictionary had existed in the first century. See, the way that the Jewish people understood their covenant was all in terms of inside and outside. So when someone who was something that was sin was anything that separated someone from the covenant that God had originally made with Moses thousands of years earlier. Everything was viewed as being either inside or outside of God's covenant. So sin was anything that separated, anything that moved someone to the outside of the covenant was determined as sin. 
So to declare that someone is a sinner means you're living outside of God's covenant. This is not about actually a moral declaration of saying you are good or evil. This is actually a declaration of status of saying you are inside or you're outside. So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he's not saying you were an evil person and now you're not. He's saying you were outside and now you're inside. See, the paralyzed man up to this point is outside of the covenant because he cannot work, he cannot pay the temple tax, and he could not go to offer sacrifices at the temple. All these three kind of requirements of what it meant to be inside God's covenant with his people, by virtue of him being disabled, he cannot fulfill. And so someone who is disabled is just by status deemed outside of the covenant. Now, that's not how we view disabilities now, and I'm thankful for that. But this is, remember, this is 2,000 years ago. This is the way that first century Judaism was. So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he's actually making a declaration of saying you were outside of the covenant, you were outside of God's people, you were considered outside of who God would commune with and be in a relationship with, and now you're inside the covenant So when the Pharisees say, how can you do that? Only God can declare who's inside and outside. That's that's the question that they're phrasing. And Jesus, remember what he said. He said, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk? See, forgiving the paralyzed man's sin and healing him from paralysis are the same thing. Both of them take the outsider and bring him inside God's covenant. This is not an either-or question. Jesus is actually giving a trick question to the Pharisees. He's silencing them with this question because they would hear Jesus' question and say, well, they're the same thing. This This isn't about good and evil. This isn't about anything in the man's past. This is about taking an outsider and bringing them in. That's the heart of what Jesus is doing when he heals. And so he goes on in this. Um, And we know that the next piece of the story, if you know this passage, Jesus tells the man, get up and walk. And he picks up his mat and he goes on his way, completely healed of his paralysis. The outsider has become inside. And that's the whole purpose of why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill this old covenant and create a new covenant between God and all of humanity. Everyone who was an outsider under the old covenant now has a path to come inside the new covenant, to come inside God's love and his grace. See, when Jesus heals, it was never just a physical healing. When Jesus healed this paralyzed man, it was about restoring his status in his community. It was about restoring his ability to connect with God under their temple sacrificial system that used to exist under the old covenant. This was about restoring the man in ways that went so much more than just his physical paralysis. That's what Jesus does when he heals. That's how we know that God cares about our wholeness, our whole being, our whole selves, not just where we are spiritually. And see, how does this connect all the pain? See, when we feel pain, when we feel wounds, when something in our lives happens that doesn't go the way we wanted it to, that we feel harmed by. Those pains and those wounds tell us that we're stuck on the outside. And they often prevent us from recognizing, no, we're already loved by God. 
See, when we experience pain, it makes us harder to recognize what God is doing and has already done in our lives and in our hearts. So Jesus says to the paralyzed man, you know, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees say, how can you do that? That's blasphemy. And so Jesus challenges the Pharisees on this whole concept of who is inside and who is outside. And then Jesus finishes by saying this to them. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Now the pastor in me thinks, you know, you should have told him, like, stay and listen to you teach. Like, you know, you should have said, like, stick around. But no, he gets up and goes. Why? Because he got exactly what God wanted for him. He got exactly what he needed. He has been restored from being an outsider into an insider. Now, this is just one of many instances through the Gospels where Jesus healed people, where Jesus restored them. And every single time, it is more than just physical healing. It's this restoration of status, this healing of position, of moving from outside to inside. And the purpose behind all of this is when Jesus healed he was giving us glimpses of the new covenant. So remember, this is before Jesus actually would go to the cross to die and to fulfill the old covenant completely. This was preview. This was a a taste of what was yet to come. And so as Jesus did this every time, it was about giving the people a picture of this is what really a relationship with God looks like. That there is no outsider anymore. There's no barrier keeping people on the outside. The path of moving from an outsider to the insider is no longer guarded by the temple laws and the sacrificial system. In fact, it's an open path of grace and love that is open to anyone who chooses to receive it. That is the heart of the new covenant. That is the heart of why God heals so that we can be drawn into that, so that he can display his love to us. Now, There's two verses in this story that I want to go back to and explore a little bit more. And so I want to take us back to Luke 5, verse 20. When Jesus said this, it was seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, Luke, as he writes this, is very specific in his pronouns, that it is seeing their faith spoken plurally. This is a plural pronoun. Jesus isn't just talking about the faith of the paralyzed man. In fact, that's not even mentioned because then it would be a singular pronoun. Jesus is remarking on the faith of the people who brought the paralyzed man. It was the faith of the people who brought the man on the mat that prompted Jesus to say, young man, your sins are forgiven. So what does that mean? See, this is why community matters. Because even when we can't do something for ourselves, so the man is paralyzed on a mat, he can't come to Jesus even if he wanted to. He needs someone to bring him. Whenever we're experiencing pain and woundedness, the first place that we're supposed to look to is our community. The first place we're supposed to look to is the people around us. And in fact, our task is to reveal God's love when someone's pain prevents them from seeing it firsthand. If you think about a difficult situation you were in, it was your friends, your family, the people around you that often brought the most comfort. And when we do that out of love for one another, we are literally being God's hands and feet 
impacting and showing love to whoever is hurting and experiencing pain. See, this passage points out to us the importance of community, that it's about us coming together. How do we reveal God's love to one another? And the other verse, I want to go a little further back to Luke 5, 17. This was the first one, the first verse of the story I read. One day when Jesus was sitting and teaching, the Pharisees are nearby and said this, and the Lord's healing power was with, was strongly with Jesus. Now that's interesting. Why is Luke so specific about saying that it's the Lord's healing power that is with Jesus? Because Jesus is God with flesh on. He is God himself incarnated means here with us. Why didn't Jesus just use his own divine power? Why does it say the Lord's healing power was with him? See, there's this simple truth that gets repeated time and time again when Jesus was healing people is this. Jesus didn't heal from his own divinity. He healed because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. He didn't use his own ability. He used the Holy Spirit working through him to heal and impact other people's lives. And later on, Paul, when he's writing to the Philippian church, he explains this concept a little deeper when he writes this in kind of this this poem that's describing Jesus. He says, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. What Paul's getting at is that Jesus emptied himself of his own divine power so that everything he did was actually God working through him, not him himself. So why does this matter? What it tells us is that God's healing did not end when Jesus returned to heaven. Because the promise of, that Jesus gave to his disciples on the last night he spent with them before he was, would be betrayed and executed... The promise he gave his disciples was that I go to the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he describes the role of the Holy Spirit as leading them into all truth, of being the comforter, of being a counselor, an advocate. And then later on, they they start to understand this more completely, and they understand that part of the Holy Spirit's role is giving gifts and abilities and skills to people who are following Jesus. And that task, those roles have continued to this very day. See, if Jesus was using his own divine power of being God himself, stepped into earth, and he's using his own ability, then healing would have ended the moment that Jesus returned to heaven. But that's not the case. Jesus used the power of the Holy Spirit working through him each time when he did any sort of miracle, any sort of healing, that was out of the depth of his relationship with with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit being lived out through God the Son on earth. Now this is kind of a a little heady theological topic for a moment, but the important part is that God's healing did not end when Jesus returned to heaven. So when we face pain, when we face wounds, when we face difficulty, God's healing is still available to us. We are not separated from it by 2,000 years. In fact, God is able to heal now and today. And some of you have stories of this. Some of you know family members who have. Earlier in this series, I told a story of, of being at a, at a conference and praying for a woman who had arthritis, and she'd, been a, a, she'd played piano for her whole life, and she couldn't play piano anymore. And she came forward and asked for healing. And so myself and another pastor were praying for her. 
And, you know, we prayed the first time and nothing happened. We prayed the second time and nothing happened. We prayed the third time. And each time we were asking her to squeeze our hands. You know, I was on one side, there was another pastor and her husband was on the other side. And she, the third time she squeezed my hand with a grip that was way stronger than she ever had before. And it spooked her, it scared her. And we said, okay, do you want us to pray again? And she said, no. See, she got a little tiny taste of what God could do. And she got scared. But what it prompted was her husband, who didn't say that he needed healing for anything, said, you know, I've had this back pain that has not gone away for, I think it was like 15, 20 years or something. It was an old injury. He said, it's never gone away. And we said, okay, well, do you want us to pray for healing for you? And he said, yes. And so we prayed for him and we did the same thing. It was, you know, the first time we said, you know, walk up and down the aisle, sit down in a chair, stand up. Does it feel any different? No. Okay, well, let's pray again. And so we prayed again and we asked for the Holy Spirit to heal. And the second time, it was the same thing. The third time, it was the same thing. No change. The fourth time, we're just, you know, we're just being persistent. We're just being expectant, wondering, okay, God, what do you want to do here? What do you want to do? And so the fourth time, he goes and he walks up, you know, up the aisle like 10 feet, and he turns around and he has just this look of wonder on his face. And I said to him, you'll sit down and stand back up. And so he sat down and stood back up and he says, it's gone. I don't feel anything. See, God cares about our wholeness. God cares about displaying his power. God cares about displaying his love. But when we come to healing, there's often a lot of questions and a lot of things that we feel uncertain or unsure about. Because many of us would say, you know, we know someone who we prayed for their healing, but they didn't get better. Or we prayed for their healing and and, and things just didn't go the way we wanted them to. Why? See, when God heals... God often has a bigger picture in mind than just what that moment is. And there are stories that we could share and we could go on for way too long today to talk about. Of times where God withheld his healing for a time period because he wanted to do it in a way that was so obvious it was only him. Or sometimes healing comes in a different form or a different way than we could have comprehended and understood. And in fact, the whole book of Job from the Old Testament that we're not going to dig into today, but the whole point of Job is he loses everything. And his friends come to him and try to explain and say, well, you must have done something wrong. You must have broken the covenant. You must be that outsider piece. And Job maintains his innocence and says, no, I haven't. And they keep challenging him and challenging him, saying, it's your fault this happened. And eventually God steps in and answers And he doesn't answer any one of their questions. He just says, no, I'm sovereign. Do you trust me even when things don't go the way you want them to? Will you still trust that I am on the throne, that I am still in control? And it's not exactly the most comforting book of the Bible. (laughs) Because God doesn't actually answer the question of why. He just says, I am and I love you. See, sometimes we think that healing is something that it's not. And so I want to talk quickly about two things that healing is not. Healing is not a quick fix for a self-discipline or a character issue. If you have something, you know, in your life where you're like, you know, I want to change that characteristic of me. Maybe I'm just I'm pessimistic or too cynical or I'm prone to burnout or like I'm prone to, you know, I, I, I push myself too far and I don't actually stop and rest when I should. Healing is not a quick fix for a discipline or a character issue. You know, I wish God would. I really wish that. It would be wonderful. And maybe God will prove me wrong someday, and that'd be great if he proves me wrong on this one. But in general, if we have some sort of a character thing that we've been working on that we're trying to improve, we're trying to work on, 
God is not just going to take that away from us. Because healing is not a shortcut past the growth that happens when we walk with him. Because if God healed every pain, everything we had instantly, we would start to treat him like a butler that's just there to serve our wounds and our needs. We would actually prevent ourselves from growing in a relationship with him if we just expect him to serve us and every whim and need we have. And the second thing that healing is not is healing is not a promise that you will never experience pain again. See, Jesus' disciples witnessed firsthand every healing that Jesus ever did. They saw firsthand the miracles that he did. They were with him as he promised the Holy Spirit to them. They were the 12 people that were closest to Jesus for his entire life. What happened to those 12? One of them betrayed Jesus. And he, I actually, when we read scripture, there's nothing that says that Judas actually wanted Jesus to die. I actually think Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand to come into power earlier than expected. And Judas was so overcome with grief over his decision that he committed suicide over it. So out of the other 11 disciples, only one of them dies of old age. The other 10, and then the replacement 12th that gets brought in, those 11 all died for their faith. Jesus told them on that last night that he was with them that you will experience trouble, you will experience suffering. This is not going to be an easy road for you. So why? Why would they follow Jesus when they have been told that it will be difficult and it will be painful and it will be hard? See, the disciples, they saw firsthand what God could do. They saw firsthand what the Holy Spirit was doing, how God was changing and shaping the world by stepping into the world, by creating a new covenant. And they didn't comprehend this fully until after Jesus' death and his resurrection that proved that God was creating this new covenant with humanity, the covenant that we are all the benefactors of today. See, they had a vision of the future that was so compelling that they were willing to endure whatever came their way for the sake of what was greater. Is our desire to stand in the light of God's love so compelling that we will do whatever it takes to overcome the darkness, overcome the pain, overcome shame, overcome fear, overcome whatever holds us back. Because that's what the disciples saw. They had a picture, a glimpse of the kingdom that was so compelling that they were willing to endure whatever it took, being imprisoned, being beaten, being whipped, martyrdom, being executed for their faith in Jesus. Because their picture of what God was doing was so much greater and so much bigger than all that. See, there's no magic words. There's no magic formula. There's no ritual that guarantees God will heal whatever it is we're facing. It'd be nice if there was, but there isn't. See, it's completely up to God how he uses his healing power in our lives. But every time God does, he does it to display his love. He does it to display his character. He does it to display that he has victory over everything that holds us back. So if we know those things, is what we're facing too difficult? 
is the pain we experience too much and it will cause us to walk away from God and say, no, I can't believe you're good? How do we get a vision of who God is that is so much brighter and so much bigger that we're willing to step out of the darkness in our lives of whatever's holding us back? You can fill in the blank with what it is for your life. Is our vision of who God is so compelling that we will step out of that and into the light? Because when we step out of the darkness, that's what leads us to a life that is filled with God's hope, his love, his forgiveness, his healing, and his freedom. Is this the life that we're willing to choose? Because that's why God heals. God heals to give us a glimpse of that future. God displays himself in powerful ways and does miracles even today to give us pictures of the future that we long for. And so I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And they're going to lead us in two more songs. And I want you to think about this idea. What is the life that you're willing to choose? Are you willing to choose to seek who God is? Are you, cho- are you willing to choose to seek this deeper picture of what God has come to do and called us to do? Are you willing to choose that life over a life of being held back by our fear, our shame, and our pain? Which life do you want to choose? Let me pray for us. God, would you do it again? Would you lead us into the depth of your faithfulness, into the depth of your love, into the depth of knowledge with you? Would we know to our hearts that you desire for us to be whole and you do that through the power of your Holy Spirit working in us and through us and around us. And so, Father, would you draw us deeper into a fuller expression of you? Would your light and your love and your hope and your forgiveness and your freedom be so compelling to us that we will do whatever it takes to live in the depth of a relationship with you? Lord, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here with us. Next week, we are starting What Happy Couples Know. It's a great series to invite someone to. I'm really excited to do it with you. Have a great week. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.